Okay, so this morning we're going to complete the book of Daniel, which will be Daniel chapter 12. So if you could have you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12 this morning. This has been a really kind of a fascinating book for me to study. I didn't realize how much I needed to know about the end times coming into this book, but boy, it really touches on every aspect of what will happen in the very last days. It seems now in our culture that depression, suicide is at an all-time high. In fact, I was looking at some statistics this week, and in the last 10 years, depression and suicide has raised over 30% in the last 10 years. And some people say that it's because of our economy, that because of the depressed economy, people you know, aren't as happy, and so more people take their lives. Others say that there's a rise in prescription drug use, and that has a play, and I think all those things come into play. But one thing's clear. There's one main thing that's present for everyone who takes their own life. They have no hope for the future. They've lost hope. And I read an article by a, a physician. His name is Jerome Groupman. And he's a Harvard Medical School professor. He diagnoses patients with serious diseases. And he discovered that all the patients he deals with, they want more than just a diagnosis. They want hope. And he wrote a book entitled The Anatomy of Hope. And his definition of hope is this. He says, hope is the ability to see a path to the future. He says, when you're facing dire circumstances and there are things that are blocking or threatening you, You want to see a potential path. And he says what happens is when people can't see a path into the future, when it looks like there's no end to suffering, then comes despair. This is what he confessed. He said, I think hope has been, is, and always will be at the heart of medicine and healing. People cannot live without hope. And that brings us right here to chapter 12 with Daniel. Because at this point with Daniel, you need to understand where he's at. If you remember, chapters 10 through 12 is one continuous story. And in chapter 10, Daniel is met by this angel, and he begins to share with Daniel. Then Daniel also sees a vision of the living Christ before he was incarnated. And Daniel's told that events are going to take place that literally are going to cause the people of Israel to suffer for generation after generation after generation. And this causes Daniel to despair. And so it kind of begins here in chapter 10, and then in chapter 11, Daniel sees kind of the events starting with the Persian king Cyrus going all the way down to a man by the name Antiochus Epiphanes in 163 BC. And Daniel realizes that for centuries the people of Israel are going to suffer. And so coming into chapter 12... Daniel needs some good news. I mean, Daniel needs hope. And what we'll find here in chapter 12 in this section are going to be three truths that Daniel will receive from this chapter that are going to bring hope to him. And I believe these same three truths will bring hope to us as well. So let's read it in in sections. We'll start with verses 1 through 4. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now at that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as not has occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, 
these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of the time, and many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. What can bring hope to us in the midst of trouble? The first thing is hope is found in God's promises of help and a future resurrection. Hope is found in God's promises of help and a future resurrection. We need to understand as God's people that God is with us through every trial. And he makes promises to us that he will help us, he will be with us. But not only that, he promises us a future, an everlasting future, a resurrected future, a new life kind of future. Now, he begins here with distress and difficulty. Chapter 11, Daniel learned that the future, it's not bright for Israel. It's not looking too good for Israel. And so Daniel, I think, at this point of the vision in Daniel chapter 11, remember, it's one continuous vision, chapter 10 through 11. I think he's getting nervous. He's thinking, man, what's going to happen? I mean, it does not look good for my people. And to kind of give you a little bit of the background, what he learned, he went through the Babylonian Empire. And then now he's part of the Persian Empire. He's thinking, wow, the 70 years are up. We're going to go reestablish Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the city. We're going to reestablish the temple. We'll begin worship again. God will make us his people. And then the kingdom forever and ever. Not going to happen. Daniel's going, I don't understand. And so through the visions that Daniel's has, this is the fifth vision that Daniel has had in the book of Daniel. He understands now that this Persian culture, this this reign of Persia is going to last at least 200 years. And then there's going to be another group of people that come in, and that's the Greeks, right? Remember Alexander the Great? Well, from that, from the Greeks is going to come Antiochus Epiphanes. And Daniel learns that this man is going to kill and destroy thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews in that time. And if that's not bad enough, then comes Rome. Right? And Rome is a major power. And Daniel has seen all these things in this visions that he's had over this time. Rome is first united. It's a strong front. But then it splits off into east and west. And then that east and west starts something that we call imperialism, imperialistic rule. And that goes on for centuries. As a matter of fact, today, we would still be probably considered part of that imperialistic rule. Where you have shifting powers going from east to west. I mean, the strength in the west is who? It's us. But how about the East? Right now, it looks like Russia is gaining power. We know that China has power. And this will go on until there's a one-world government. And at some point, this is the next stage, there will be a one-world government. And when that one-world government is established, there's going to be ten kingdoms or kings that will come through that. And from that, one main ruler will come out of that ten-kingdom reign. And this is the one known as the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 10 is going to deal with this period of the end times, dealing primarily with the Antichrist. This Antichrist is going to raise to power, and he's going to be much worse than Antiochus Epiphanes ever was. And Daniel, from this vision, is learning that God will use all these kingdoms as a purging, as a cleansing, as a purifying for the people of God. Daniel chapter 11, verse 35 said this, speaking of the Jews, it says, some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time. 
because it is still to come at the appointed time. So chapter 11, verses 36 through 45, there is coming an antichrist. And the Bible teaches that he's going to do as he pleases. And now Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, he understands that this tribulation period, it will not start. It doesn't start at the rapture. A lot of people think at the rapture, when the church is raptured out, that's the start of the tribulation period. That's not it. The tribulation period starts at the point where the Jews sign a contract with the Antichrist. It's a seven-year period. As a matter of fact, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says this very clearly. It says that he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's seven years. But in the middle of that week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. On the wing of abominations will come that will make desolate. So there's going to be a seven-year period that this Antichrist will reign. And right in the middle at the three-and-a-half-year point, he's going to throw away the contract and he's going to begin to persecute the Jews. And not only that, he's going to establish himself as God. And he's going to command people to worship him. And he's going to put an idol in the Holy of Holies in the temple that he's reestablished with the Jews. He will be in power and reign for 42 months, or you could say for 1,260 days, or you could say for three and a half years. All those figures are found throughout the Bible. A three and a half year reign. This man will blaspheme God. And he hates God's people. Daniel 11.36 says, Then the king, this is the Antichrist, will do as he pleases. And he will exalt and magnify himself about every god. And he will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is decreed will be done. So think about where Daniel is right now. All this stuff is swirling in his head. And here we come to Dan, this end, Daniel 12. I think he's in despair. I think Daniel at this point is like, I don't know what to do, Lord. It is so bad. The news is so bad. He needs hope. And Daniel chapter 12, Daniel's going to get hope right here. Verse 1 says, Now at that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over your sons of your people will arise. He says, Michael the great prince. We know that Michael is an angel. In fact, he's an archangel. He's considered probably the mightiest of angels. And God is saying right now, Daniel, I have assigned to you the greatest of all angels to your people. I am going to provide your people help in their greatest time of need. Daniel, I am your God. And I have provided one who will give them help in that darkest time. And we know that Michael is perhaps the most powerful angel that there is. And he's been given the responsibility to protect Israel. If you remember from Daniel chapter 10, it was Michael who fought with the prince of Persia when the other angel was hindered from coming, right? And he allowed that other angel to come and minister to Daniel. Right now, God has given Daniel hope. He's saying, Daniel, I'm sending help. Daniel, your people won't be on their own. Daniel, I'm sending the mighty archangel Michael to come and defend your people. And also in verse, in verse 1 it says, And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since as a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Whenever you see that time of distress, it's talking about that last seven years, that tribulation period. And he's saying that I'm going to rescue your people, Michael. Hope. He's saying, Daniel, there is great hope here. This angel is going to come and protect. During the tribulation period, Satan wants to destroy the people of Israel. Now remember, the church is gone. 
at this time. The rapture has happened. And so Satan has his eyes, his focus on Israel. Now, Satan has always wanted to destroy the Jews, right? First, he wanted to destroy the Jews because he knew the Messiah would come through the Jews. And so throughout the centuries, he was always trying to kill the Jews. Too late for that, Jesus was born, lived the perfect light, resurrected, ascended to heaven. Now, just out of spite and anger, I think, and a hate for God, he wants to kill God's people. Matthew 24, verse 21 and 22 says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. And if those had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And according to Zechariah 13, 8, only one-third of the Jews in that time will survive. Zechariah 13, 8 says, And the whole land declares the load two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. So God promises Daniel it's going to be really bad. It's going to be very difficult times. But I'm sending the mighty angel Michael, and he's going to come, and he's going to protect your people. He's going to come, and he's going to hold them. God is saying, Daniel, I know they're going to suffer, but Daniel, trust me through this. I'm giving you hope. Not all is lost. We need to understand as church, as God's people, that that same offer of help is given to us. You've been given the word of Christ. The very last words Jesus said before he ascended to heaven is, Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age, all the way to the end for his disciples. The Lord is with us. And too often I meet Christians that think, oh my gosh, things are so bad. I don't know what's going to happen. The world's falling apart. We have a living Christ. He is our Lord and he makes promises to us to help us in our time of need. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says that we have an advocate, one who intercedes for us 24 hours a day. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, there it is. We as God's people today have help in our time of need. Guys, this gives us hope. We're not alone in this world. God didn't spin the top, step back and say, gee whiz, I wonder what's going to happen to my people. He's actively involved. He wants to help. We need to seek him for his grace. God through Christ is promising, promising to be a help to us. And not only that does he promise to help us now, today, he gives us a promise of a future hope, a resurrection. Look at verse 2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. We have the hope of resurrection. Now think about Daniel right now. He says, okay, God is promising me that he's going to send help. He's going to send a mighty angel to protect my people. But also, he's going to send a future everlasting life. That brings hope. You mean once you die, it's it's not just over? No. There is life, life everlasting. 
And I use the word here, it says sleep in the dust of the ground. Whenever you see that word sleep, it's used as a metaphor speaking of physical death. Now, some people believe that when you die, and they use this verse, sleep means soul sleep, that the soul just kind of wanders in space or kind of sleeps. That's not biblical. The Bible says to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, rather than absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. When the body is buried or cremated at the resurrection, it will be reconstituted and be united with your spirit and it will be transformed into something so beautiful and unique. We're going to have a resurrected life. And as God's people, we can hope in that. And right now, Daniel reads that and he's like, hope. I can hope in that. Look at verse 2 again. It says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake to everlasting life. All believers, all the redeemed, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation saints, all are going to experience this resurrection, all those except those who are translated at the time of the rapture. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, and those who did good deeds to resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to resurrection of judgment. All those who trust in the Messiah, the Old Testament saints looking forward, the New Testament saints looking back, will have a day of resurrection. And they will experience everlasting life. But those who have not trusted God, who would not trust in the Messiah that he sent, everlasting contempt. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul and hell, that's Matthew 10, 28. But for those of us in Christ, and for Daniel and his people at that time, God is saying, you have hope here, Daniel. First, I'm going to help you, and I'm guaranteeing you a resurrection. I'm not leaving the people on their own. And the way the Bible teaches resurrection, it says there's going to be a first and a second resurrection. The first resurrection, is, as it's called in Revelation 20, verse 4, has three parts. First, Jesus Christ was resurrected. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the example to us of what a resurrected person is like. And because he's resurrected, it's a guarantee that we will be resurrected also. That's the first part. The second part is the tribulation. The church is going to be resurrected. This is going to ha- happen in two parts. First, those that have died, those... Christians that have died and been buried, they will rise first. Their bodies will rise and they'll be reunited with their spirit and be transformed. And those of us, if we're raptured and we're breathing, will be lifted in the air and will be transformed immediately and be present with the Lord. First Thessalonians four sixteen and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain and are caught up together with them in the clouds will meet in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So the Lord is the first fruits. Then the church will be resurrected. And then the third, the final part of the resurrection is the raising of the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. Now, there's some debate here about the, the Old Testament saints. Some believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he went down and he spoke to those captive and then he resurrected them then. But others, because there's a number of scriptures, believe that 
at this time of the tribulation period that Old Testament saints will rise from their graves and they'll be reunited with their spirits. And this will be a resurrection for the Old Testament saints, those that were looking forward to a coming Messiah. But then you also have the tribulation saints. Those are those that were killed during the time of the tribulation. They will be resurrected and they'll be united with their spirits. And then they'll go and serve the Lord in the millennium. So that's the first resurrection. But there is a second resurrection. The second resurrection happens at the end of the thousand-year millennium. And at the second resurrection, those that have rejected God, have rejected Christ and His goodness, they will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, they will be tossed and thrown into the lake of fire. But for Daniel now, the angel is giving him hope. And if you look at verse 3, it says, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forevermore. So not only, Daniel, are you going to receive everlasting life, a resurrection, but in that like, you're going to be like the stars of heaven. I think what he's saying here, I'm not clear, but there are a lot of debates on this one too. I think it's something like that. When we're resurrected, when we're with the Lord, when we're transformed, we're going to display the glory of God. And some may be brighter than others, depending on how we lived our lives here. This seems to insinuate the way of our worship of God, our devotion to Him, the lives that we live here, will somehow be visible and displayed in heaven. And then the angel says, seal up the book. If you look at verse 4, it says, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of time, and many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. I don't think he means here, hide the book. I think what he means here right here is secure the book, preserve the book. He's saying, Daniel, preserve this book, seal it, protect it, because in those end days, at that time, people are going to need this book. They're going to need to read what they need to do. That there's coming a time, Daniel, when the people are going to need this more than ever. But right here, what God has done has given Daniel a path of hope to the future. He's saying, Daniel, I will be with your people. I will help them. And Daniel, there's a future hope, a resurrection that you cannot believe. You know, I was speaking with an ER doctor just the other day. Had lunch with him and Pastor Farouz. And I asked him a question. I said, do you notice a difference with patients that know Christ versus those that don't know Christ when they're in the midst of trauma? Because he's a trauma doctor, right? And he said, oh man, he goes, it is night and day. And then he began to share with me a story, a tragic story that just happened a couple weeks ago. He said that there was a very rich couple and they had bought their son a really revved up, super fast car. And what the son do? Yeah, he got in a terrible car accident and the son died. And this was the doctor that was working on the son, so he was the one to give the bad news to the parents. And as he went out to share the bad news with the parents... He said he he told them that their son had died. And listen to his words. He said when he told them, the mother began to scream. And he said, this is what he heard. He said, I heard the cry of no hope because this couple did not know Christ. The cry of no hope. If you don't know Christ, you have no guarantee of a future resurrection. You have no hope. But if you know Christ, oh, what hope we have. I love the way Timothy Keller put it. Let me read you his words. Timothy Keller is an author and pastor, and he said, when my wife was growing up, 
Every summer, her family spent two weeks in a small compound of cottages on the shores of Lake Erie. Now those cottages are all gone. In fact, part of the beach is gone. And whenever she visits that childhood vacation spot, she weeps because she knows that that beach is irretrievable. It's like death. And the older we all get, the more we realize that certain losses are irretrievable. They're gone. And that can suck the joy out of our lives. He says, but here's where Christ's resurrection offers something very unique. The resurrection of Christ promises the, resur- the restoration of what you've lost, but also what you have never had. You don't just get your body back. You get a body that you always wanted and never had. He says, you don't just get your life back. You get a life that you never had but always wanted to have. He goes, Jesus is walking proof that you will miss nothing. It's all coming in the future. It's going to be unimaginably wonderful. There is no religion, no philosophy, no human being who can offer us that kind of future. As Christians, our hope for the future is based on the historical fact of the resurrection. If you came here this morning without hope, you can have great hope because God promises that he will give you help now, but also a great hope of a resurrected life in the future. That's the first thing. Hope is found in God's promises of help and a future resurrection. But there's a second thing we see here in the book of Daniel, chapter 12. He says, hope is found in God who is in control and knows all. If you do not understand with all your heart that God is sovereign, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle when the difficult times come. But when you understand that God is sovereign and that he is absolutely in control, that he is not a distant deity, but he is active in the events, particularly for his people, there is great hope in that. Look at verses 5 through 12. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. As soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand, so I said, my Lord... What will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will, be, will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Verse 11, for from that time the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,200 and 90 days. How blessed is he who, who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now, this is just packed <laughs> with information, so put on your thinking caps with me. We're going to kind of walk through this. Now, Daniel sees angels, right? And he also sees the resurrected Lord. He sees Jesus Christ before the incarnation. He sees what we call a Christophany. And they're down at the river Tigris. And so he's speaking to this one angel, and all of a sudden there's two more heavenly beings. Another angel, and then you see Jesus kind of hovering above the water. 
And if you look at verse 5 and 6 again, it says, I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and one on the other bank of the river. And one said to the, the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? Right here, I see God sending Daniel more heavenly help. Right? First, he has one angel. Now, all of a sudden, Christ and also another angel are there. And there's a support in that. And we also see here, if you will, the, the subordination of the angels. They're on land, and Jesus is above the water. So you see Jesus as Lord here. And one of the angels is curious. And so he asks God, he asks Jesus, he says, How long will it be to the end of wonders? He's talking about that time of distress spoken of in verse 1. He says, how long is it going to be until all of this is over? How long is it going to be? And we know that Jesus is God. And so if you look at verse 7, he begins to explain it. He says, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and a half a time. But as soon as they finish shattering the holy people, all these events will be completed. So Jesus swears by the Father. I think the reason he does that, I think this is a way of emphasis. Jesus is saying, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely, without any doubt, the truth. By myself and by God in heaven. You've got to bank on this. This is going to happen. And he's saying that the power of the Jews is going to be broken. It's going to be shattered. It's going to be destroyed. And for how long? For a time, one year. Times, two year. Half a time, half a year, three and a half years. During the tribulation period, that's seven years. The first three and a half years of the Antichrist is going to be a time of peace. He signs a contract with Israel. He reestablishes worship. He sets up their temple. It will be a time of peace for people. But right at that three-and-a-half-year mark, boom, it's all over. Sets himself up as God, puts an idol in the Holy of Holies, and he begins persecution of the Jews and any believer in Christ like you have never seen. This is the same thing that was told in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Let me read that to you. He, the Antichrist, will speak out against the Most High. He'll wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That moment that agreement is broken, all hell literally will break loose for the people of God. And during the last three and a half years of the tribulation, it's, it's calculated that about two-thirds of the Jews will be killed. That's why it says the shattering of the power of the holy people. The Antichrist and the false prophet go on a killing spree of anybody who believes in God. That's the, the Gentile Christians, and now we'll say the Jewish Christians. These are Jews that come to know Christ during this time. God is going to use this time as a purging, as a cleansing. And what's going to happen, because the persecution is so great, in mass the whole Jewish nation will come to know Christ. We keep hearing in our day, peace, 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 right? That we need to negotiate. Israel is not going to experience peace. It's only going to get worse and worse. And there is coming a future ruler who is going to be so bad, so full of hate and venom, that he will kill anyone who will not worship him. 
And God is going to use this period as a judgment against nations also. Daniel 11.41 says that he will enter the beautiful land, which is Jerusalem, and many countries will fall. This man is going to just widespread destruction. And we know from Revelation chapter 12 that it speaks about a remnant will survive in Israel. Revelation 12.6 says that the woman fled into the wilderness. The woman is Israel, by the way, where she, where she had a place prepared by God that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's, again, three and a half years. Matthew tells us that during the tribulation period that God will call his people Israel to flee to the mountains. That's Matthew 24, 15. We looked at it last time, but I'll read it to you. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And so God is a rescuing God. And we know what God is going to do is he's going to begin to rescue the people of Israel. And as soon as they see the abomination of desolation placed in the Holy of Holies, by the way, that abomination of desolation is an idol. As soon as people see that happen, they need to flee. And God tells the people of Israel, flee to the mountains. And and the mountains are Mount Seir, Mosville, in the area of Basra. And in Mount Seir... At the basin, there's a little city called Petra, and it's in the shape of a sheepfold. And most scholars feel that that's where God will protect his people because it's surrounded by mountains. It's a little town, if you will, and that one-third of the Jews left will be held there or kept there by God. Revelation 12, 14 says, But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time, from the presence of the serpent, that is, the devil. So God's going to protect his remnant Israel at this time. He's going to be a protection for them. Revelation 13.5 says that power will be given to the Antichrist for 42 months or three and a half years. But then Christ is going to return right at that three and a half year mark, and he's going to dethrone the Antichrist. Matthew 24, 29 through 31 says, But immediately after the tribulation, those days the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and the Son of the Man will be coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. As we know all this from the New Testament scriptures and from the Old Testament scriptures, we can kind of chronologically go through what's going to happen at these end times. But think about Daniel right now. He doesn't have the New Testament scriptures, does he? So what does Daniel do right now? He's like, I don't get it. Look at verse 8. He says, as for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Daniel wants clarity right here. He's saying, God, I don't understand. This is too much for me. I mean, you say that many are going to die, but some are going to be saved. And how's this all going to work? And can you clarify for me is what he's saying. But look at God's response right here. Jesus responds, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up to the end of time. This is interesting to me, and I I think what's happening here, I think Jesus is saying, you're not going to understand. No matter how much information I give you now, there's a lot more information that's going to come from the Scriptures later. 
So for right now, Daniel, you know what I want you to do? Trust me. Trust me in this. I think he's just asking Daniel to have faith right now because intellectually, this is probably overwhelming. But I love what happens next. Then what Jesus does is he gives him more information. I think just to say, but I know what's going to happen, so let me just tell you anyway. And he gives them more information. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there's a different time period here. He says, There will be 1,290 days. And how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to 1,335 days. In verse 10, the Lord basically tells Daniel, you don't need to know all the details, but here you go. I'm going to give you some more details anyway. And in verse 11, he says that the abomination of desolation is going to be set up for 1,290 days. Now, the abomination of desolation, that is that idol that's placed in the temple. So we know that the Antichrist, when he begins reign. Uh, of destroying, if you will, the people of Israel. It's going to be for three and a half years. The Lord's going to return. But it seems like, from this, that that idol is going to remain in the temple another 30 days before it's taken out and destroyed. So it's going to be in the temple for 1,290 days. So first, the Antichrist is going to declare himself to be God. He's going to set up his, his idol in the Holy of Holies. Then he's going to be destroyed by Christ at the end of three and a half years, but that idol will remain there for another 30 days. And then look at verse 12. It says, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to 1,335 days. This is another 45 days added on, so a total of 75 days from the point of that three and a half year mark to the beginning of the millennium. There's a 75-day period where a lot of things start to take place, and so I'm just going to kind of run through it and share with you what happens. First, at the 1,260-day mark, the Antichrist and his kingdom will be defeated and purged from power. Also, at the 1290-day mark, that idol, that abomination of desolation will be taken out 30 days later. But now in the next 45 days, the Bible says a number of other things are going to happen. Revelation 19.20 seems to suggest that the Antichrist and his false prophet are going to be cast into the lake of fire in that last 45 days. Also in this period, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, says that Satan will be seized by an angel, and he's going to be put in a pit, and it's going to be sealed for a thousand years, and he's going to be let out at the end. Most people feel that that angel is Michael the archangel. That's going to happen in that time period. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and Matthew 25 say that the Gentile nations at the end of the tribulation, they're going to be gathered for judgment like sheep and goats. Okay, so this is before the millennium. They're going to be gathered. And all those who put their trust in Christ and treated the Jews well, they're going to go into to, um, the millennium, right? They, they, they love the Lord. They trust the Lord. They're going to go in. But those that didn't, those that did not believe in Christ, that did not trust God and hated the Jews, destruction, they'll be cast into hell. Now remember, the church is taken out, the rapture has taken place. But also in this period, Isaiah 26, 19 suggests that this time, this is when the Old Testament saints will be raised, if you will, be resurrected and reunited with their spirits, as well as the tribulation saints. It's at this time that all that will take place. 
And so the book of Daniel kind of climaxes with a final restoration and blessedness of Israel. But the amazing part for all of this to me, guys, is that God knows it all. It's written down. He's written it hundreds of years in advance. We have a God who knows all and controls all because none of this took place without him allowing it to take place. And do you know what kind of hope that gives me? We don't have a God that's going, oh, you're kidding me. I didn't read that before. Unbelievable. That's going to happen. Our God knows. How big is your God? I got to ask you that. How big is your God? I read the story from John Ortberg. He's a pastor. And he said he was on the beach with a bunch of buddies and he was walking on the beach and they walked past this bar and he saw these two big old guys beating up this little guy that was on the ground. And kind of in frustration, he just yelled out, hey, stop that. And the two big guys turned around and looked at him and started to walk towards him. He said, oh no, (laughs) I'm dead. And he said, but all of a sudden, those two big men stopped and all of a sudden they looked in fear and they like ran away. And he was kind of like shocked. He was kind of like, man, I, I don't know, they're afraid of me. And he turns around and standing right behind him next to him, he said, was the biggest man he'd ever seen. <laughs> he said the guy was like seven foot tall, weighed over 300 pounds and was solid muscle. He nicknamed him Bubba. And he says, and I guess he just kind of walked up to see the fight too. And so those guys thought he was with him, but it, he wasn't. But I love what he said. He kind of tied this in. He says, if I were convinced that Bubba were with me for 24 hours a day, he, go, he says, I would have a fundamentally different approach to my life. If I knew Bubba was behind me all day long, you wouldn't want to mess with me. But he's not. I can't count on Bubba. Again and again, the writers of Scripture pose this question for us. How big is your God? Again and again, we're reminded that the one who is greater than Bubba has come. And you don't have to wonder whether or not he'll show up. He's always there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in hiding. You have a great big God, and he's called you to have hope in him, for he's true to his word. How big is your God? We can have hope because we have a God who promises help and also a future resurrection, but we can have hope because we have a God who's in control, and he knows absolutely everything. And in the last two minutes, the last point, (laughs) we can have hope because it's found in God's promised rewards. God's promised rewards. This is verse 13. God promises his children that we will be rewarded for this life. But as for you, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your your allotted portion to the end of the age. Now, I love the way God does this. Daniel, after all this stuff you've learned, he basically says, go your way. Understand right now, Daniel's going to get three things very quickly that are going to give him home. The first thing is, Daniel, go your way. God is saying, Daniel, live your life. Don't worry about it. Daniel, the way you've been living your life, go keep living it. Daniel's 90 years old. I mean, he doesn't have that much time left. And God is saying to him, Daniel, just go your way. Things will take care of themselves, Daniel. You've been faithful continue to be faithful. And what I love about this, he says, Daniel, he doesn't say, hey, Daniel, go buy something, go buy a cave in Montana, stock it with a bunch of goods and wait for the return, right? He doesn't say that. What's he say? Daniel, live. Live as you've always lived. Share with others the love of God. Go your way, Daniel. Secondly, he says, into your rest, rise again. 
Now, I love this because before he speaks about those that are in the grave are going to rise, it's kind of second person, right? Here he says, Daniel, you're going to rest. But after you rest, you're going to stand, Daniel. Daniel, you're guaranteed the resurrection. Christians, you're guaranteed the resurrection. There's great hope in that. And then I love the last one. He says, you're going to receive your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, there's hope. Because not only do you get eternal life, but you get everything. You're going to be rewarded, Daniel, for this life. And I think the best rewards are not going to be stuff. We're going to get to know the Lord as he is. We had worship this morning that I thought was just great. But can you imagine there's no sin? You'll be able to worship the Lord without sin. We're going to be granted rewards beyond what we can imagine. And we'll have life everlasting with a God that loves us and will keep us. And we will have purpose in that new life. We're going to have a millennium of serving the Lord. And he'll have us serve him in such a way that it fits us the way he made us. I mean, what glory is that? And I want to end with a hymn, The Solid Rock I Stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you ended this book with a cry of hope. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that you promise us help and resurrection. I want to thank you, Lord, that you make it so clear that you're sovereign and in control. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you guarantee us a place of inheritance. Lord, we have a place in your kingdom for you are good and you're full of grace. You display your love through your son. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.